Happy? I am now going to teach 1 John like I could not do the night I had no voice. You don't know how it tortures me when I don't have a voice. That's just like a bird with no wings. I mean, it just drives me crazy. But tonight we have it. So we're, we're on the second to the last 1 John. Then we begin, hey, Jude. And uh, it's going to be great. It's powerful. And you're going to learn Jude like you've never learned it before. So let's stand together and we're going to read the first verse. And this is one of those portions of 1 John that I wasn't really very clear on for a long time, but I think I understand it better now. Let's read together, can we? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Father, we thank you for the inspired Word of God. And we pray you'll speak to us tonight that, Lord, we will have victory over the devil, victory over the flesh, and be effective witnesses for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, I used to read that. This is he who came by water and blood. And I used to think, what in the world does that mean? Because, of course, the pronoun he is Jesus Christ. So, Jesus Christ is he who came by water and blood. What does that mean? Well, water refers to Jesus' baptism at the beginning of his work in which he declared his purpose was to fulfill all righteousness. Because you remember John said to him, what are you doing letting me baptize you? You should be baptizing me because I'm not even worthy to unstrap your sandals. So what are you doing letting me baptize you? And what did Jesus say? He said, suffer it to be so now for it is incumbent upon me. I should be fulfilling all righteousness. Now I hear something here. Jesus was saying that a part of obedience to God that a part of the righteousness in the New Testament is to get water baptized. If Jesus got water baptized and he had no sin, where does that leave us? Now let me tread where angels fear to go sometimes and just tell you plainly, water baptism has nothing to do with saving you. Not anything. Now let me just put it another way. If you had somebody on death row and you went in and you shared the gospel with that person 30 minutes before their life was taken from this planet, they have nowhere to get baptized and they said, Jesus, forgive me, I repent of all my sin and I turn to you. When they die, did they go to hell? No. Because you're not, water baptism is a step of obedience once you have been saved. But Jesus put his seal of approval on it and said, baptize me. Therefore, if you're saved and you haven't been baptized, you need to be water baptized. I'll walk you out to the Trinity and dunk you. You might not come back after that, but I'll take you out there anyway. Maybe the last thing you ever do. But if you haven't been water baptized as a believer, you ought to be water baptized because Jesus did it. And when he came up out of that water, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and a voice spoke out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And from there, he was, the Bible says in Mark, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness 
where he confronted the four temptations of the devil. I call it the showdown in the desert. And he went into the wilderness filled with the Spirit, but he came out of the wilderness, Mark says, in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Now, Matthew 3, 14, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Jesus was affirming John's message of repentance and confession, as well as setting an example for us to follow him in water baptism. So he came by water. His ministry began immediately following his water baptism. That's when he really began to walk in his ministry. Now, blood. This is he who came by water and blood. What does that mean? Well, blood refers to Jesus' bloody death upon the cross for the sins of the world. The blood testifies on the earth. At his water baptism, Jesus was formally set apart for his messianic work by the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him along with the Father's audible voice. At the cross, his messianic work reached its culmination or its fulfillment. What did he say just when he was dying? He said, it is, say it with me, finished. What was finished? The work of redemption. The work of redemption. Because the blood of the Lamb is what John called him when he saw him. Behold, the Lamb of God. And every Jew standing there knew exactly what he meant. This was the ultimate sacrificed Lamb, the once for all sacrifice that will never have to be made again. So on the cross, everything that God had taught his people all through the centuries... In the old sacrificial system, every time that lamb was slain for the atonement, God was saying the day is coming when the ultimate lamb is going to show up. And John the Baptist was looking, waiting, expecting, anticipating, and was the forerunner to that one. So he called him the Lamb of God. So when Jesus hung on the cross, ladies and gentlemen, and can I be bold enough to say Muhammad hung on no cross? Neither did Buddha. Neither did any other religious leader. Jesus came to die. That's why when he was struggling with the whole thing in the garden, he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? What cup? The cup of suffering. Jesus sweat as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe, not for fear of the physical suffering he was headed towards, but the dread of momentarily being separated from the Father. That's what he dreaded. If it's possible, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The ultimate prayer and statement of surrender to God, nevertheless, Here's what I want, but nevertheless. Here's what I wish I could do, but nevertheless. Not my will, but thine be done. And when the Bible tells you and me, church, pick up your cross daily and follow me. When Jesus said that, he was talking about your cup. Your cup comes into play whenever your flesh wants to do something, your will wants to do something, you want to go in a certain direction, but you know that it's contrary to the will of God. That's when you pick up the cross. The cross is anytime you say no to yourself 
and yes to God, you have just picked up the cross. And the Bible says daily you got to pick it up because daily, daily, folks, the will of God is going to be challenged in your life. Every day it's going to be challenged. This is so powerful. So many believers don't understand this. They walk away saying, well, Christianity didn't work for me. I tried it and it just didn't work. No, no. You didn't try it. And that's why it didn't work. Because Christianity is completely meaningless and useless as far as it working itself out in our daily life where we experience the joy and the peace and the power of God. It's meaningless unless you pick up the cross daily and follow Him. And it can be small things, big things, but I guarantee you that the reason Jesus said daily is because He knew daily your will is going to clash in some arena of your life with what the will of God is. So he says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. Now, you can be a casual Sunday morning Christian, and it's not going to work for you. But if you're going to daily walk with God and see the power of God manifested in your life, you're going to daily pick up that cross. Today, uh, now this is silly, but today, in, a, in small things, I can think of times I had to pick up the cross. When I was getting into the Word of God, it suddenly hit me, man, I would like to take a nap. I would really like to take a nap. Now, I know this sounds trivial. And I started to go take a nap, and God said, you're not done. I said, no, I, I am done. I'm going to take a nap. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to be ready if you don't stay in the Word until you know you're done. And so in, in something even that trivial, I went, okay. And I just stayed in the Word and got ready. See, then I took a little power nap with great peace. Now, big things, the cross comes into play. Where you know, man, you're being confronted with something that is totally contrary to the will of God for you. What are you going to do? You're going to be a Sunday morning carnal Christian? And go your own way and just have fire insurance. Well, I know one day if I die, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Or you can be a real believer who daily picks up the cross. And so large things, small things, in between things, you got to make that choice. And anytime you make it and you choose the will of God, you've just picked up the cross and you're carrying it. That's when you have peace. That's when you have joy. That's when you experience his power. It hurts. Listen, I've never seen a cross that didn't hurt. Jesus was not hanging on the cross saying, all right. But it was not his will to be there. It was God's will, and he did it. And how many of you are glad that Jesus went to the cross? Oh, yeah. So, at the cross, his messianic work reached its culmination, and at the cross, your Christian life will prove itself true or weak, strong or weak, powerful or not powerful, effective or not. Now, it is the Spirit who bears witness, John said. The Holy Spirit is the third witness. So say with me, the water witnesses, the blood witnesses and the Spirit of God witnesses. These are the three things, the three things that witness, that bear a witness on earth. 
The Spirit is the third one. The Holy Spirit is the third witness, the water and the blood being the other two. The Holy Spirit testifies of the messianic ministry of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Right now, as I teach, the Holy Ghost is testifying to your heart that you're hearing the Word of God. You're not hearing Jeff Wickwire. You're hearing the Word of God. And the Spirit of God in you says, yes, amen, and gives you peace. John 15, 26, but when the Helper comes, Jesus said, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So no preacher, no witness ever testifies alone. The minute you begin to talk about Jesus Christ on this earth, the Spirit testifies. Amen? The water testifies, the blood testifies, and the Spirit testifies. I have been so aware of preaching since I was 18 years old. I can't tell you how many times I've been ministering the Word of God and, and struggling with an audience or with a person and then suddenly been aware that I was not alone. And the Spirit of God enters into the situation and testifies. Jesus is real. You're hearing the truth. Do you remember when the Spirit of God testified it to you about Jesus? John says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now, I want to comment on this for a minute. This is one of the greatest scriptural examples of the doctrine of the Trinity. Let me read verse 7 again, because he's not talking about what testifies on earth now, but what testifies in heaven. Let's read it together. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And what are they? These three are what? One. This is one of the greatest scriptural examples of the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father... The Word and the Holy Spirit are separate, yet they are one. Just as water, ice, and steam are all comprised of H2O, yet they have different manifestations. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are separate, but they are one. They are all God. I really don't understand. I've never understood why there's such a debate over the Trinity. I've never understood it because there it is, is in plain black and white. God the Father on his throne directing providentially the affairs of the entire created order. Jesus Christ, the sacrificed lamb, God the Son. The Holy Ghost, not a he or not an it, not a force, not some ethereal presence that comes into a, a room, but it's a pronoun, he. The Holy Ghost is he. It's God the Spirit. And his ministry is to move in the earth and testify of Jesus Christ and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Different manifestations, different functions, but one and the same. And he made you the same way. You've got a body, you've got a soul, suke, the mind, the will, and the emotions, and you've got a spirit. That's how we're created in the image of God. You're three-part. Body, soul, and spirit. It's quiet in here. 
say, well, I don't fully understand that, Pastor Dad. That's just kind of, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand it. You don't understand it. See, the way that car starts, when you go out there tonight and turn a metal key and something in front of you jumps into motion and you're able to just to turn a little gear and cruise down the street. You don't understand that. You don't need to. You don't have to understand how it is that when you called out on the name of Jesus, God breathed his spirit into your soul. You were made alive through the power of God. He made you to be born again, born twice. And one day he's going to come again, give a shout, blow a trumpet, and take you off into glory. You're not going to worry about understanding that on the way up. You're going to be praising God, period. Amen. Now, verse 8, can we read it together? And there are three that bear witness on earth, John says. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Again, John tells us that the Spirit, the water, and the blood testify to the one truth, that Jesus is the Christ and that we have life in Him. That's what all three of those testify to. I don't know about you folks, but when I got water baptized and I came up out of that water in the middle of the winter, it was sleeting outside and I was in Lake Dallas. But when I came up out of that water, the Spirit of God testified to me that I had done something right smack in the middle of the will of God and that Jesus was Lord and I was going on with Him. There, were, there was a testimony with the water. And there's a testimony with the blood. We see it every week. People come down and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. And the blood covers them and cleanses them and testifies of Jesus. Then they get touched by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost comes into their soul and testifies of Jesus. So those three agree on earth. Amen? Let's uh, read verse 9 together. If we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. John is saying that since we are in the habit of receiving the testimony of men in our courts elsewhere, the testimony of God is greater and therefore it should be received. He's saying you all the time in your courts and in daily life, you uh, give credence to the testimony of men. He says, hey, this isn't men talking to you. God has sent three things into the earth that testify of Jesus Christ, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. You know, I had people tell me recently, Pastor Jeff, we walk into this building, we walk into that sanctuary, and we feel God, and we feel uh, already a drawing toward Him. What is that? Well, that's not mortar brick and stone and wood and glass the spirit of god is here and he testifies he testifies jesus is lord no man says jesus is lord but by the spirit the bible says now i like this testified is in the perfect tense meaning that god has spoken in the past concerning his son and his testimony is on record right now. When the Greek language uses the perfect tense, it means something happened in the past and it is still having an effect now. It's still impacting now. It is still having an influence now. 
He's saying God testified way back when, in our case, 2,100 years ago of Jesus Christ, but it's still bearing witness now. Amen. This will be the testimony at the judgment. God will declare to the whole human race that he testified of his son as the savior of the world and that testimony was either accepted or refused. At the judgment, God's going to say to the whole human race at the great white throne judgment, God will say, I testified. I sent the water. I sent the blood. I sent the spirit. And the spirit's ministry and the blood's ministry and the water's ministry was to testify through all these centuries that he was Lord. And you rejected that testimony and that's what's going to judge you. He testified of his son that he was the savior of the world. When you got saved, you were agreeing with the testimony of God that Jesus was his only begotten son and he sent him to cover your sin. Mm. That just almost just makes me want to worship for a minute because you know what? God sent Jesus to cover our sin. Can we just stop a minute and just thank the Lord? Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that right now the testimony of the Spirit is in this place. The testimony of your Spirit is on our heart. The testimony of the blood. The testimony of the water. We thank you, Lord God, that you have not left this demonically infested planet without a clear testimony. Help us to be faithful to spread it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read first 10 and 11 aloud, can we? He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. That's why I'm calling this message, Can I Have a Witness? Because we've got three of them. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't come to give us a neat little religion to live by. He didn't come to motivate us to make more money. Not ultimately. Jesus came, Jesus came to give us eternal life. And that life is only in his son. And in this verse, or these two verses, there's a beautiful picture of the process of salvation. Notice in verse 10, believe God by accepting his testimony concerning his son, he who believes. So the first step in salvation, believe God by accepting God's testimony concerning his own son, he who believes in the son of God. Then believe in the Son by accepting Him as Savior and Lord, surrendering your life to Him. And then third, the inward witness. Look what it says. Because, he has not, because it says, He who does not believe God has made him a liar. But he who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. That's number three, the inward witness, which takes place the moment the heart's door is open to the Savior. The soul rises up and greets Him as all its salvation and all its desire. You remember when you got saved? Didn't your soul just rise up and say, yes? You remember that? It's because the Spirit 
witness to you in your own heart that you had met him. That's powerful. Witness means one who has personally seen or heard something. In Romans 8, 16, Paul says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Therefore, we cry, Abba, Father, literally, Papa. Isn't that great? How many of you can remember the day you got saved and the inner witness came and said, you're now a child of God? You remember that? Wasn't that a great day? All right, let's read verse 12 together, can we? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, I just want to say to John, John, you shouldn't be so narrow. There's a hundred ways to get saved. You can, get, you can go hug a tree. You can have good intentions. You can never get a traffic ticket. You can embrace any old religious leader you want. All that's going to matter, John, at the judgment is that you had good intentions, that you meant well. And that's going to be on radio, too. I want you to listen to how narrow the Bible is on this salvation thing. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, is not alive. Literally out there, anybody who doesn't have the Son is the walking dead. That's just what the Bible says. The definite article is used before life in the Greek language so that it actually reads this way. He who has the Son has the life, the life. And you almost hear John saying, you know, there's some things that you might say comprise life, but then there is the one and only life. And it's he who has the Son. And the life God gives to sinners is the life John's talking about, who place their faith in the Son. So that when you place your faith in the Son, God gives you the life, the life. It's exclusive. It's one and only. It's as narrow as you can get. But it's the narrow road that leads to life. And then the flip side is sobering. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You may walk and talk and breathe and function, but you are cut off from the life of God without His Son. I wish I could infuse that one truth into every church in this nation. You know what would happen within six months or less? We would be in red-hot, Holy Ghost, devil-stomping, God-exalting revival. It's because we've gotten away from this. It's because we've gotten away from this. And don't preach this. And even tell people on national television, we just don't go into that. God help us. John would have a fit if you set him down in our day and he saw the church. Paul would have a coronary. This is how Paul could say in Ephesians 2, 1, And you, let's read it together, everybody, good and loud like we're preaching it. And you, he made alive with the life who were dead, not having the life 
in trespasses and sins. Let's read verse 13 together. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Mm-mm-mm. No here is oida, and it means absolute, positive knowledge, to not have a doubt one. You know, John uses the word no per paragraph or per page, probably more than any other letter in the Bible. He is real concerned that we're not walking around going, gee, I I hope so, maybe so, perhaps so, if so. I'm just kind of hoping that I have eternal life. John says, no, uh uh-uh. As you grow in the faith and as you get a hold of what God has really done for you, it will be a oida, a no-so. One thing I know, and the devil's not ever going to take it from me, I have eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Son. I'm not coming to know this. I have reached a place where I definitively know that I have life. I mean, God sent His only begotten Son to die on a bloody cross for me. Do you think He wants us walking around with a question mark looming over our head? No. He said, if I sent my only begotten son to die for you, then by golly, you're going to know that you had life through him. He's writing his letter to them with the intent that they would know with an absolute, unshakable knowledge that they are possessors of eternal life by believing on the name of the Son of God. Well, if we can get to where John fully expected the church to get, this is, this is where John saw the church, the truth he saw the church walking in, the reality, the spiritual reality, then you begin, you begin to be effective for the Lord out here. He doesn't want us walking around, folks, constantly nervous about our salvation. No, he spilled the sinless blood that covered our sins, God came into our souls, lifed us with the Holy Ghost. We are His children now. You don't get unborn. And He wants us walking in that truth. So when you go to bed at night, you can sleep peacefully that if He came tonight, I would go to heaven. Not because I'm cocky or arrogant or, or proud or walking around like I'm better than you or holier than you. Uh uh-uh, because I just so believe in what he did for me. And that's why. Amen? So let's stand together tonight, can we? Can you say with me, God is good? Can you say with me, thank God I'm saved? Now let's pray together, and I want to pray it for all of you listening by radio. You know, you can come to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You can know that you know that you know that he died for you and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Why not right now in your car, in your home, in your place of business, in that hotel room, wherever you're listening, take a moment and say, Jesus, I reach up to you in faith. I put my faith in the sacrifice that you did for me. And I ask you to come into my heart right now. Let me know the peace that passes understanding. Let me know that you're my Savior. And from this point forward, 
I'm redeemed. As you pray that prayer, His Spirit will come into you and His Spirit will make you alive. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you for blessing this church, for blessing us. Lord, we ask you, help us to take the message of the gospel everywhere that we can. For we know that in Jesus, there is only one road to eternal life. He's the only one. And help us to be true to the eternal record of the Word, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Yeah, uh, they're not right. There's.